This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest, I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, 424,000 children are in foster care awaiting adoption. Yet, despite the number of children in need, a number of states and municipalities are politicizing the adoption process. Although Christian and other faith-based foster care and adoption services have placed children in loving homes for many years, some are now being disqualified. The reason? They follow the biblical definition of marriage as being between one man and one woman. Some politicians say this discriminates against gay and gender-confused individuals and others. The United States Supreme Court is scheduled to hear arguments in a specific case on November the 4th. This case, Fulton versus the City of Philadelphia. This case involves foster parents who work with Catholic Social Services. Although the Catholics have provided foster care and adoption service to the Philadelphia area for two centuries, the city decided in 2018 to cancel its relationship with the agency because it would not adopt or approve foster parents who are in a same-sex relationship. This decision was made a week after the city put out an urgent call for 300 families for foster homes. No complaints had been lodged against Catholic Social Services. Its policy was that they'd refer any same-sex applicants to another agency that would allow such adoptions. But despite this policy and the lack of complaints, the city canceled its agreement with Catholic Social Services, and the children it served were then thrown into an overburdened system. This isn't the only place where it's happening. A ruling by the Supreme Court will have a nationwide impact on adoption and foster care services. Alliance Defending Freedom filed a friend of the court brief in the Philadelphia case and is involved in two similar cases as well. Senior Counsel Matt Sharp is my guest today on World Lutheran News Digest, and we discuss the implications of this decision. And now today's Fast Track. In this year, like no other, the setting of a budget for fiscal year 21 was reached at last on September the 22nd when the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Board of Directors adopted an operating expenditure resolution of $59.6 million. By contrast, the fiscal year 20 budget, after adjustments for big one-off events, such as the Triennial Synod Convention and the LCMS Youth Gathering, was more than 16% higher at $69.3 million. Such a cautious approach to expenditures in fiscal year 21 was justified in consideration of major economic uncertainties in the current forecasting environment, not the least of which has been the impact of COVID-19. Liberty Council filed its reply brief to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, refuting the opinion of an Indiana federal judge who ruled against the nativity scene display at the Jackson County Courthouse. Liberty Council represents Jackson County, and oral argument is scheduled for November the 12th. In addition to the nativity scene, the annual holiday display also includes large lighted Santa Claus, sleigh with reindeer, and a group of Christmas carolers. The courthouse grounds are also decorated with many kinds of lights and other non-religious symbols of the holiday season. Judge Tanya Pratt previously ruled in favor of a plaintiff who does not live or work in the county and does not transact any business in the Jackson County Courthouse. The U.S. Supreme Court and numerous federal appeals courts 
have recognized that government entities may recognize Christmas as a holiday and may maintain Christmas displays that include both religious and secular symbols. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen with World Lutheran News Digest. The Supreme Court first week in November is going to be hearing a case that is of vital importance to religious liberty in this country. At, uh, at risk or at question is whether or not a faith-based organization for adoption and for foster care can be discriminated against because they will not adopt or foster to people outside who violate the their beliefs for example a single a single person or a gay couple would not be eligible for a for a catholic organization or any other faith based organization the case in particular here is one called Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia there were 26 adoption agencies in that jurisdiction two of them were christian and uh, the city of Philadelphia decided that those two were discriminating against the uh, gay and the lesbian community, even though no complaints had ever been raised against them. And that there were, and that uh, the other agencies, the other 24 in the city, were more than willing to help. And that, of course, the Catholic agency, the Fulton versus uh, in uh, Fulton, would always refer a person to one of those agencies if they didn't meet the requirements. With me today is Mr. Matt Sharp, who is an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. Although ADF is not handling this particular case, they have filed a front of the court brief, and they are involved in two other cases that are identical to this. Welcome to the program, Matt. Thank you for having me. Well, let's uh, let's go over this. What what had happened in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, why is this so important? The way I read the case, the city said simply, "Well, because you will not adopt to a particular class of people, you're no longer eligible for our adoption uh, for our adoption program, even though they've been part of it for many years." That's right. I think what's really glaring is how this situation first started out. The city of Philadelphia put out a desperate plea for uh, more than 300 foster families to step up and help them. Um, They had a a lot of kids that were needing a home. And in the midst of this cry for help, they then start going after uh, Catholic charities and uh, the adoption provider there and telling them because of your beliefs about marriage, because of your belief that kids thrive best in a home with a married mother and father, we are going to disqualify you from helping us to satisfy this emergency crisis. And so the only circum, the only explanation for this is they don't like the religious beliefs that motivate the Catholic charities and these foster families to help these kids. They don't like that they believe kids thrive best for their married mother and father. And so they're targeting them, discriminating against them because of their beliefs. And I think it's just the hypocrisy of saying, We have a desperate need, oh, but not from you Catholics, not from you Christians, not from you that believe kids deserve a married mother and father. We don't want you helping us fulfill this desperate need. Uh, I think that hypocrisy just shows the discrimination and and hostility towards people of faith, especially in the adoption and foster care arena. And the ones who are hurt by this really are the children who are thrown back into the system that's already overburdened. Yeah, that's exactly right. The focus needs to be on keeping kids first. And what do kids need? They need a forever home. And so when you've got a 
shortage of foster care parents, you shouldn't be disqualifying organizations. You shouldn't be disqualifying families. Rather, you ought to say, hey, this is all hands on deck. And yes, we want you Catholic Adoption Agency. And yes, we want you Secular Adoption Agency. We want all of you in here. And yet here's Philadelphia ultimately harming kids by excluding Catholic adoption provider from being able to serve the children in need. I know that ADF is handling a number of cases itself, but that are identical to this, or at least very close to it. Could you go into those a bit? Sure. Uh, so we've got two others, one in New York and one in Michigan that are very similar. Uh, so the Michigan one involves Catholic Charities of Western Michigan, very similar circumstance in that they have had a long history of serving the state, uh, helping thousands of families over the years with the adoption and foster care process. Uh, and Michigan even has a law that specifically protects faith-based adoption providers, making sure that they can't be excluded. Yet despite that law on the books, the attorney general is choosing to ignore it and saying, uh, you must violate your deeply held religious beliefs if you want to continue to have a contract with the state to provide adoption services. Similar circumstance in New York, uh, and we've got New Hope Family Services. Um, they've helped over a thousand kids over the years find a forever home had never had any complaints, um, don't take a penny of government money. And yet here the state of New York was telling them that they must uh, change their beliefs about marriage and family, change their beliefs about what home is best for children uh, if they want to continue to serve the families and children in the state of New York. Um, and so both of those are ongoing cases, um, though we have had some uh, very encouraging recent decisions in both of those where uh, we think that the, the courts are going to do the right thing and ultimately uphold this right. But obviously having a victory at the U.S. Supreme Court would hopefully help put an end to this once and for all. Does the Religious Freedom Restoration Act play into this? Unfortunately not. Uh, at right now, we're not dealing with a federal law, which is what the Religious Freedom Restoration Act covers. Instead, we're dealing with state laws uh, or state actions that discriminate against people of faith and faith-based adoption providers. Uh, so it is one reason why, in addition to a federal RIFRA, we need state RIFRAs to be able to uh, fill in those gaps and to make sure that uh, government actions like this, government discrimination is not tolerated in our court system. Well, looking specifically at the, uh, at the case of uh, Fulton versus Philadelphia, what arguments are both sides making? Well, I think the, the, we'll start off with the city of Philadelphia's. Their, their claim is, well, we've got these, quote unquote, non-discrimination requirements, uh, specifically as it relates to sexual orientation. And if you want to contract with the city, if you want to be able to work with the city to provide adoption services, then you have to agree to these non-discrimination requirements. Um, but what the uh, Catholic Social Services and others involved are saying is, well, wait a second. Those are not just neutral requirements. Those go to the heart of our faith. Those go to the heart of our beliefs about what marriage is. Um, and lest we forget that it was Justice Kennedy in his authoring the Obergefell decision, the same-sex marriage decision, very clearly said there has to be room for people of faith to continue to live consistent with those beliefs, um, that you shouldn't be targeting them just because they don't agree with views about same-sex marriage or believe that children deserve a married mother and father. And so this is sort of hitting that, uh, those views against each other. Um, and I think ultimately it's, it's the idea that the free exercise of religion, the ability of faith-based organizations like Catholic Social Services to 
continue to serve families in need, continue to help kids, but to do so in a way that is consistent with their deep faith convictions about the nature of marriage and family. Um, that's really what is at stake here. And so I think that's their primary argument uh, in response to the city is um, you can't impose no requirement, even if you claim it's neutral, that forces us to violate our faith or that excludes us from being able to serve because of our faith. Uh, because if that's allowed to stand, I think we could imagine dozens of other restrictions that claim to be neutral, but are really done to target people of faith, done to exclude those with deeply held religious beliefs from being able to serve their communities. Well, my understanding is that the, uh, that the law requires government bodies to be neutral, not hostile to religion. And it seems to me that this is a case where they actively are hostile. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was, we've had several recent decisions from the Supreme Court. Uh, just last year, we had the case of uh, Espinoza. It dealt with Montana and their school choice program and whether they could exclude religious schools from participating in this program, exclude families who want to attend religious schools from accessing those government funds. And the Supreme Court was very clear that you can't discriminate against a religious entity because it is religious. And yet that seems exactly what is happening here in Philadelphia. Um, it's their religious identity. It's the religious beliefs put in practice that the city of Philadelphia is targeting and saying exclude them from being able to participate and help kids find a forever home. Uh, and so when you see strong precedents from the Supreme Court saying, hey, you, you can't treat religious organizations differently. You can't discriminate because of religious identity. I think that's a, a promising sign for Catholic social services uh, and the families that they serve here, uh, that the Supreme Court hopefully will uh, build upon that principle to say, even when the adoption context and even with these so-called non-discrimination policies, um, you have to allow people of faith to participate and not face discrimination or simply wanting to live out their core religious beliefs. A lot of this, I think, goes back to the Obergefell decision, the one that legalized uh, gay marriage throughout the United States. There were some very eloquent statements in the dissent on that, warning that this very thing was going to happen. Can we explore those? Yeah. So I think it was in, in Justice Scalia's dissent uh, that he was with a, a strong prophetic voice warning what this would open the door to, um, that you know he, he foresaw that people of faith and religious institutions uh, would one day be drug into court, just like it's happening now, because of their beliefs about marriage. Um, and he said, you know, while we appreciate the, the statements from the majority opinion that we have to show tolerance to those who hold to traditional views about marriage, uh, he saw that this was really setting up a process by which the government comes after people of faith. And so we saw that play out with, for example, Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker. Uh, and we've seen it in other instances, and I think the city of Philadelphia case, uh, in addition to the other ones with New Hope in New York and uh, Catholic Charities in, in Michigan as well, all of these do flow from that and flow from that warning, Justice Scalia, um, that people of faith are going to find their beliefs about marriage under attack, are going to find governments willing to go after them simply for holding to millennia old beliefs about the nature of marriage and family. Uh, and so I think that prophetic voice we're seeing come into play. Uh, our hope in all of this, though, is that uh, the Supreme Court will continue to affirm that the government cannot discriminate against people of faith um, and to put a strong block against the government's authority to punish people for their beliefs about marriage. 
Well, should the uh, Supreme Court rule in favor of Fulton in this case, would that have an impact on other cases going on with this? For example, the two that uh, ADF is representing. Yeah, I, I think so. I think if we get a clear ruling from the Supreme Court that uh, simply because this adoption provider and foster care provider seeks to live out its faith, uh, to follow its Catholic teachings on marriage, um, that that's not the basis for discrimination. I think not just in the New York and Michigan case that ADF is involved in. Obviously, that would be a very important precedent uh, that could not be ignored by lower courts. Uh, but I think we could see it play out in lots of other areas. Uh, so, for example, we're even starting to see situations in California and other places where it's not just faith-based adoption or foster care providers. They're actually going after the parents themselves and telling them, look, unless you are willing to uh, you know, agree that uh, to abandon your beliefs about marriage or abandon your beliefs about gender identity and some of those topics, um, you are not going to be qualified and accepted to provide foster care in our state. Um, and so I think a, a victory for the adoption and foster care providers in Bolton is not just going to impact other adoption and foster care providers. I think it's going to benefit families that are wanting to welcome kids into their home but are more and more finding the doors slammed in their faces because of these government policies and government trying to restrict people's faith from being part of the public, being part of the community, being part of the, the solution to the, the shortage of families we have for kids in need of uh, adoption and foster care. There is a, an item of legislation, I think, in the House of Representatives called H.R. 5. It's known as the Unity Act. And I believe the Democratic platform actually has called for passage of the Unity Act. Um, I've read it. And it seems to me that it uh, is a complete refutation of the idea of religious liberty. In fact, I think there's a case where it, uh, there's even a sentence here where it says specifically that the Religious Freedom Refer Restoration Act would not be applicable. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think this is the, the Equality Act, H.R. 5, yeah, um, is that not only would it roll back existing protections. So I know we, we talked earlier, the, the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act doesn't really kick in here because we're not dealing with federal law, federal, federal regulations. But I think we could very easily envision a day uh, not too far in the future where we do start having the federal government, perhaps in an um, administration that is hostile to people of faith, start using the federal government to say, we're going to go after faith-based adoption providers that uh, refuse to adopt to same-sex couples or that give preference for uh, married couples uh, to adopt and then start using the power of federal government. And the Equality Act would give them that authority. In fact, it would uh, mandate that you know, these so-called non-discrimination requirements are applied everywhere across federal law. And then at the same time, it's stripping away the vital protections of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So what we're seeing play out in Philadelphia or New York or Michigan, we could start seeing play out across the country if the Equality Act passes and if those important protections for religious liberty are stripped from federal law. Uh, and I think it, it shows the importance of this case, but also the bigger battle um, is to make sure not only do we have a strong ruling from the Supreme Court protecting religious liberty uh, and protecting the ability of people of faith to participate in serving their communities, but also stopping efforts to roll back protections at the federal level that may prove to be very, very important. Uh, we've seen time and again, the Supreme Court look to the federal 
Religious Freedom Restoration Act to provide important protections. Um, it's what helped Hobby Lobby succeed so that it wouldn't have to pay for uh, abortion-inducing drugs, and it's helped others like the Little Sisters of the Poor and, and just countless people of faith uh, ensure that the federal government can't punish them. And I think we should all be worried if these efforts to roll that back uh, somehow succeed in Congress. I know, again, in the uh, dissent for the Obergefell, uh, one of the questions that was raised was, uh, for example, with uh, seminaries, would they be forced to do things in housing, for example, or admissions that were in violation of their beliefs? For example, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, we would not house within our dormitories that are seminaries unmarried couples. We certainly wouldn't do it with gay couples, much, uh, and we certainly won't do it with uh, with straight couples. Uh, obviously, and again, that the uh, we believe that the the ministry uh, has to be done through males. This would all be put in jeopardy. As I read the dissent on this thing, it was very, very, very clear. And even the solicitor general said, "Yeah, this is real, this is very possible." Yes, it, when you start thinking of all of the ways that the federal government is entangled in our daily lives and in, in how religious organizations operate. So, for example, seminaries and uh, religious colleges that hold to traditional views about marriage and what it means to be male and female. A lot of students receive federal uh, backed loans uh, or federal grants to attend these schools. And it's very easy to see how those government officials could start putting strings and say, ah, if you, if you want a loan to attend the seminary or if you want a loan to attend uh, the undergrad institution, uh, we have to make sure that that institution doesn't have policies or practices that are uh, inconsistent with our views about uh, sexual orientation, gender identity. And so you have to allow a male in the women's dormitory or uh, change your views about sexual orientation. All of that we could very easily see play out um, under something like the Equality Act or these other laws. Um, and I think that's why these battles over adoption providers, um, a lot of people may say, is it really that big of a deal? And I say, yes, because this is really the canary in the coal mine of the, the larger battle that's going on. And this is one of the points we've made. Uh, ADF has set up a website called Keep Kids First that really focuses on this, of not only why we need to stand for the adoption providers, but to your point, the, the bigger cultural battles, battles that touch on religious institutions um, like seminaries and uh, Christian colleges and, and lots of other social service organizations uh, started by religious ministries. All of those could be impacted by the outcome of this case and bigger battles over the Equality Act. Tell me a bit about this new website that you put up, Keep Kids First. So this was a website really designed to be a one-stop shop where people can find out more information about these battles over adoption providers, helping them understand the argument. Um, and so hearing personal stories of families that have benefited. Uh, so we've got one from a, a young woman named TJ McGee, um, who came from a very broken home situation. Um, and it was the love provided by a faith-based adoption provider that helped connect her with a family and that ministered to that family through the process, providing them training and resources um, we've even heard stories of how these faith-based adoption providers will provide extra cash so that the kids can sign up for a sports league or extracurricular activities or even just extra money for food and necessities uh, for clothing. 
And time and time again, we hear these incredible stories of how faith-based adoption providers go above and beyond what any of the government organizations are doing to really care for families and care for kids in need of a forever home. So Keep Kids First is a one-stop shop where you can hear these stories, you can learn more about the, the legal battles going on, and also efforts to pass good laws to protect adoption providers, to make sure that they uh, are not discriminated against by the government for living out their faith. Um, and so that is, it's, you can visit it at adflegal.org slash keepkidsfirst and learn more about um, ADF's efforts, but also uh, just the battle more general to help protect faith-based adoption providers and keep kids first, just like the website says. It seems to me that we've been building up uh, a lot of pressure on the religious community over the over the coming years, over the past years, everything from Jack Phillips to uh, Arlene's Flowers, you name it. Uh, and now we're coming up to the Supreme Court with this uh, particular case, the Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. This is going to be a very important year for religious liberty because this isn't the only case before the Supreme Court that's dealing with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we actually have a full court examining this. That's very true. And I would, in addition to that, not just a full court, but also justices that have a deep respect for the Constitution and the liberties that it protects um, and not trying to modify those in light of current norms and values or, or what's popular in culture, but really going back to what our founders were trying to protect, um, that no one should ever be forced to act against their conscience, that no one should ever be censored by the government um, or told that their beliefs disqualify them from public life. I think uh, having judges that hold to that value is more important than ever. Um, and hopefully we will continue to see judges like that, put not just at the Supreme Court, but all levels of the court. Well, Matt Sharp, I want to thank you for being on the program and uh, shedding light on this uh, situation. We seem to be coming to a head on it, and uh, it's going to be... Uh, an interesting year, I think, as the old Chinese curse goes. Maybe you live in interesting times. But we'll keep an eye on it, as I'm sure you will. And again, I want to thank you very much for appearing on the program and sharing your thoughts and, and your insight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran, World Lutheran News, News Digest. Digest is a broadcast ministry Kim of the Allen. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.